0: You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop. Serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, as you heard me say at the top of the programme, Teresa O'Driscoll is is a prolific uh, author and and journalist and editor. uh, But at the heart of it all is a very firm Christian faith. And I began my interview by asking her uh, how that faith journey had begun for her. So, Teresa, tell me, how did your faith journey begin? Now, obviously, you were quite young when, when all things faith came your way, but tell us about it.
1: Yeah, I was really blessed to be, brought, uh, to be born into a family with strong faith and church going. And so I first went to church. I remember being in church when I was two years old. Uh, it goes back that far. And also, then I went to a faith school. And that uh, was a brilliant foundation for the rest of my life, actually. So my faith is it gets deeper and deeper as the years go on. I'm so pleased to say, because I see in perhaps friends and family, that the, the opposite happens. So and my faith is, is is becoming more and more important to me. It's the crucial foundation of my whole life. That's my faith.
0: You were brought up, presumably your parents took you to a Roman Catholic.
1: Yes. Uh, Church, yes, yes.
0: And what what, what was what was the church like? Was it was it quite formal, or what were the services
1: like? As I was growing up, yes, the churches they 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 were more formal, but I have to say, I don't know if it was because I went to church from a very small from a toddler and always loved it. I've always felt that it is. uh, I've always felt very at home. It's so uh, going to a church, no matter what church. It's like going home to me. It's another home to me. And as for the formality, I love the formality of the mass. What I love is that it doesn't change. I mean, it was in Latin because I am old enough to remember the Latin. But we always knew what was going on because we had prayer books and it was Latin one side, it was English the other. It was just what we did. But um, I think what I've noticed most is the attitude of the priests they went from being more um, I say, it, it rigid is maybe too strong a word, but I, I saw a softening of the new priests coming up. I remember you know, going to mass and thinking, oh, my goodness, that young priest, he was simply talking of love, and that's how it's gone on. So I have seen a change, um, but as I say, church, no matter what church, no matter what denomination, it's home to me. I love going to church. I love it. Love it.
0: And, of course, there are many, many people who do like a more formal type service. But as you quite rightly say, it doesn't really matter because worship is something that comes from the heart, isn't it? It,
1: it is. It is definitely from the heart. It is from the heart. And also, um, it's um, It's a very personal thing. And you bring with it yourself. And you bring with it your own like concentration. I mean, I've I've read in novels, for instance, about people. It's it kind of it was a comedic bit where it said, and people dozed off during the sermon. Well, you know, okay, fair enough. But um, I will go and 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 listen and listen very hard. So it depends on what you take with it as well. And but, obviously, we're human, and the mind can wander sometimes. You know, it does. But anyway.
0: Oh. That happens. That happens to the best of us, doesn't it? In the best, in the best services, sometimes. Yeah. They, so did, and obviously you're going to church. So did did you pretty much accept, you know, the, the that Jesus had died for your sins and so on, just as a child, and or, or did you did you do that at home or a wee bit later on? When did it become very personal to you? Do
1: You know, it became personal to me very early on. I remember it's funny I was reading this morning reading my Bible and um and thinking about the hymns that I'd chosen you know for today for the program and I remembered when we were studying um the Old Testament when I was at well I was about seven or eight I remember being struck so forcibly by there was Samuel. Uh, you know Samuel, Samuel, and he's running to Eli. And no, I didn't call you. I didn't call you, and things like that would make me. I started to peer. I wonder where, if I can see him. If if I peer really hard, will I see God? Oh, will I listen? If I listen really hard, will I hear him? So from very early on, I think it's because, um, well, I have a vivid imagination. I do. I was born to write. And, and that, that that what I just told you, it demonstrates that I was born that way. But also, as I say, I was born in a very Christian family. There was no forcing the but talking of God was as natural as breathing. I mean, and if we couldn't go to church for something, just some maybe there was some snow or something, we prayed together. So it's just very natural to me. So I've had a relationship with Christ, with God, the Holy Trinity, for as long as I can remember. It, I was blessed, blessed that way. 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com
0: So, Teresa, you've, you've mentioned a moment or two ago that, that you always had that creative streak. And, and I know you started to put words on the paper as young. A seven, have I got that right? <laughs> um, it was about um, seven, Yeah. And what were you writing?
1: What was coming out of your imagination at that point? Well, the thing is, Blair, my mum taught me to read and write when I was four. So before I went to school. By the time I went to school at five, I was already an avid reader. And when at the age of about seven, we started to keep a daily diary in the class, I thought, ah, I can write. I can write my own book. And so I began my first novel when I was about seven. I remember writing about um, three chapters of Mr. and Mrs. Carrington and the Carrington family. It was simply based on a childhood. You know, it was just a family. I got a chapter about chapter three. I did write about three chapters. And you see that that name has stayed with me all of my life. But then I realised No, I had to live more to write more. And that was what I realized. But I never actually stopped writing. But I didn't write another book. I wrote a play when I was about 10. We performed it at school and so on. So I've always written.
0: Now, obviously, in terms of your career, you eventually went into the civil service. And of all of the things that you could have chosen to do, why the civil service?
1: Shall I tell you something funny? I had been um, what they call a personality girl for Shell Stamps. Can you remember the Shell Stamps?
0: I remember the Shell Stamps. <laughs> the stamps. Did
1: so well listen, yes. About 16 of us permanent staff in the whole of the country. And you know how big Shell Stamps was. So it was a wonderful job and then I'd done a year of traveling, it was living out of a suitcase, it was fantastic, but then one year was enough, actually, it was enough, and I remember going to sign on, you know, because then I'd made myself unemployed, and the lady I signed on with, she said, Teresa said, you know, there's, I think she, she took to me, she said, you know, we've got a vacancy upstairs, Teresa, in the civil service, would you like to, I said, well, yeah, let's go for an interview, and that's how I joined, it just happened.
0: Now, obviously, later on, you were to become a journalist. Did you do any any formal training for for journalism?
1: No, I didn't. Um, When I took my career break. By the time I took my career break, I was an IT trainer in the civil service. I'd actually done a period of time, and I was living in London. I'd done a period of time where I was actually doing training for trainers and writing training briefs. So when I took my career break, and and finally ended up in Greece, and um, I took the career break to focus on my writing. But I had thought that I would be writing features and finish another book. I'd written two books by then, and um, I found that when I moved to Greece, everything in my life that I'd done so far up to that time came together in my journalism, and especially, of course, in my brief writing, which I used to in my journalism. I used to get lots of compliments from people who've been interviewed a lot of times before. And, and when I asked them why, um, why did they prefer what I wrote? And they'd say things like, um, it was logical, it was accurate, etc." cetera. It makes you wonder what the other people were writing, but it all came together, it brilliantly, all, everything, everything came together. It was It was like a symphony, it was fantastic.
0: Now, those two novels that you said that you two books that you said that you have yeah. written before, what was the subject of those? Um,
1: One of them was loosely based on someone's life story, uh, but very loosely based imagined. You know, it's like you might read um, an article in a newspaper and think, ah, oh, and then you take that and you run with it. And it was the same with the second one. But really what I was doing, I've been writing shorty, short stories as well. I was always writing in a way. I was kind of perfecting what I had been doing from the age of seven. I gotta tell you, Blair, to finally finish one one novel after starting at seven to finally finish many years later a novel. I could have written a book on how to write a novel because the way that that came together, which basically is perseverance and not and not you know just like brainstorming in a way not uh, criticizing what you're writing just get the story down so anybody listening wants to write a novel i say just do it don't but, care especially with computers now but that was with handwriting but with computers now you can start anywhere you can start anywhere at all in a plot and take yeah. it from there
0: i was going to ask you because there probably is somebody listening to us right now who have thought you know i really like to write whether it was their 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 biography or 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 whatever or yeah. or even uh, like yourself, uh, you know, a work of fiction or, or or whatever. And they do say that inside all of us, there is a novel. <laughs> um, but but people are often put off. What tips would you give somebody who who felt the urge to put pen to paper, but maybe were a little bit intimidated by the thought?
1: Well, I'd say first and foremost, pray about it because that's what i do now that's what i've learned over the years and i told you my faith is getting deeper and deeper so before that pray i would say pray and say oh something oh dear lord i feel that i want to tell my story and i think that everyone does have a story in them that someone will want to read and there's some very very inspiring stories that people carry around And they don't share and I wish that they would really so I would say pray and then I'd say be fearless because at the beginning when I started to write my books and I I told you the three chapters then I'd start another one another chapter of a different book uh, two chapters of another one and what I made the mistake of doing I realized in retrospect was trying to be perfect because I tell you, when you're writing an article, even, or if you're writing a blog, what or whatever you're writing, but a book, the beginning really, in a way, is the last thing you write in as much as you write the story, get it down in any way you can. And then the beginning, you polish and polish and polish. But I didn't know that. So I tried to polish and polish and I never got any further. So I gave myself the permission to write freely. So, as I just said, my story, the first novel, came out in fragments and I'd sit down to write something and I wouldn't just to carry on with the scene and I'd find myself wanting to write about another part and I'd just write that. So I gave myself the permission to write freely on that day, whatever I wanted to write about. And that's how I finished my first novel, because you can bring it all together. Later. So once you've got the tracts of writing down, then you can bring it all together. Maybe that wouldn't work for some people, but like I say, Blair, that freed me and enabled me to finish a novel. So I would say, do that. Anybody wants to write, just write. Just write. 90.1 Hope FM and HopeFM.com.
0: So Teresa, I mean, obviously we talked quite a bit about your writing. The one thing I haven't asked you thus far is the encouragement that you got along the way. I mean, obviously, you know, no doubt, no doubt, you have a publisher now and uh, and whatever. But in those early stages, uh, before you had anything published, uh, did you have people around you who said, "This is really great, Teresa. Keep at it," and you know, and, and actually, have you thought that you could have this piece published?
1: Uh-huh. No. (laughs) No, actually, no, I didn't. um, Well, first of all, I have to say that writing and fellow writers will probably agree um, that it's a very personal thing. So what I wrote, I didn't share with many people. When I finished that first book, I did share it. But the things along the way, I didn't usually share. I was um, experimenting in a way, I suppose. I was perfecting my own craft. It was only after I moved to to Greece and became a journalist and kind of fell into that in a way that um, I began to get that kind of feedback that you're talking about. But I also learned very early on, and this is a good thing to say to your listeners who want to write, be very careful who you share you're writing with,
0: because... Not because there's a lot of pretty awful critics out there.
1: Yes, and the out there may actually be people you are very close to. I don't mean to be negative at all, but um, they they can be very critical. So if you know someone is more likely to be critical and you want to show them, you know, your delicate writing that you, you, you've, you've poured your heart and soul into, be careful who you share it with. And I learned very early on when I was writing the articles in Greece, where I had over a thousand articles because I was writing for a what's on where um, magazine. It was called uh, Insider Athens. Um, actually it was called the Athens scope. I was writing for Insider before I came back. Um, I learned very quickly not to show the articles. I just write them and then I became confident early on after showing no, I just wrote them, they were published, and then I would only look at the articles when someone you know, said, Oh, Teresa, I really like that article on. I'd say, Oh, I think, oh, and I'd read it and I'd go, Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. <laughs> so even I I became a, a bad critic of mine, if you <laughs> see what I mean. I just write it, you know, pray about it, write it and get it in print and then move on. That's what I did.
0: So what was it that took you to Greece?
1: That's a very interesting, a good question, Blair. Um, So I'd taken this career break to focus on my writing, as I've said, and I actually planned to go to New York. I'd kind of semi-arranged to go to New York uh, for, for a little while and to write a book based in New York. But meantime, I'd already booked a holiday in a resort in Corfu that I'd been a number of times. And um, I booked a three week holiday. And uh, when I was there, I made new, new friends. And um, there was a, a lovely Australian girl, Rebecca. She was traveling around, as you do. And she wanted someone to share with her. And her friend was going to London. And, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I ended up staying the summer. That was it. I stayed the summer in this gorgeous uh, um, you know, resort that I loved. And um, then I moved to Athens. And... The next, you know, the rest becomes history. It was the beginning of my Greek odyssey. 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com.
0: So obviously you've said to us, Teresa, about being in Greece. Can you remember the very first article that you had published in Greece? Uh, Or indeed the very first article that you had published where you began to get more of a wider feedback throwing yourself to the lions, as it were. What was
1: it like? Well, at the beginning, when I moved to Greece, I was working for a man who was a journalist. He was a stringer for a number of newspapers, including, you know, The Telegraph, the whatever, in Britain and in New York. And he was bringing uh, my channel for music. It was a music channel from Paris to Athens. And he got me to start to write articles about that. And that was they were well received. Um, I do remember then um, I was asked by the the magazine, this Athenscope, to begin to write more articles uh, for them because they really liked what I wrote. So, um, and I started to write all sorts of things, travel features and all manner of things there. And it developed. It, I, I wrote more and more for them. And finally, they asked me to be their contributing editor. So I was writing them between 11 and 13 articles a week, which was which was a lot, um, but great fun. I used to have deadlines starting from about Wednesday at two o'clock and I'd be driving around um, it was close to Parliament Square. Syntagma was the office, driving around, and uh, t- I couldn't park, and I'd phone right. I'm, c- I'm coming now. I've been there. I've been around three times. Can you come out? I'd be on my huge brick of a mobile phone, and they'd dash out, they'd take the floppy disk from me and the photographs, and then I'd make my deadline. I'd go off to the next interview. It was very exciting, Blair. Very oh, exciting. Guess- Hard work, but exciting.
0: I guess it would also have built your confidence, you know, that by that time, obviously, there's a lot of water onto the bridge. And yes, I had written lots of things, some of it published, a lot of it not, but all of it building your experience and building your confidence.
1: That's exactly it. it because a lot of it is confidence. And uh, yes, it, it is. I remember I was in at Jordan one time and I wanted to do a documentary about um, the baptism site, which is beyond the Jordan. So I know there's a post in the Jordan where they presume that Jesus was baptized, but this is a tributary beyond the Jordan. And when I was there, I had to go to the um, the tourist authority and I had to ask Queen Noah, who was guarding that site, if I could if I could go there and if I could see it. And I remember the clerk gave me a piece of paper and I had to write to the queen and I stood there. And I went, duh, 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 duh. I filled out the whole thing. He looked at me and I gave it to him. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've come a long way, really, haven't I, in my writing? If I could write to the Queen off the top of my head while somebody watches me, I was pretty amazed at myself, really. So that for me was progress.
0: <laughs> now, the first time that we met, it was just prior to the publishing of, of, your, of your book on the subject of prayer. And it was, uh, you know, uh, about praying and, and about, listen, Pray Then Listen, I think was the title of it. Yes, the book. Pray
1: Then Listen, A Heart to Heart with God.
0: Now, obviously, that, that was a slightly different departure for you. Um, had you always wanted to write on the subject of prayer? And, and how, how has that book been received?
1: it's been very well received and thank you for asking um yes i had written a book when i was still in athens called nine days to heaven how to make everlasting meaning of your life and that was my personal effort to evangelize to uh, present uh god to people perhaps who didn't know him in a very simple way but with regard to pray then listen it's a book that i never would have written but god asked me to write it Um, he actually, it was on my dad's birthday, which 15th of January, 2017, it was, um, standing at the back door, I was cooking lunch and God told me, write a book and show people how to speak to me. And, um, it was, I mean, I, I hear from God a lot. I'm very blessed, but he'd never asked me to do anything like that before so I wasn't quite sure what he wanted of me I prayed about it and um, and I started to write down basically the things that over the years I've been saying to God in an informal way and in situations that I talked to him and that came down to a book in the end which basically so it's pray then listen a heart to heart with God where I I encourage people by using my own words to pray with their own words so that they're speaking because everything we say to God, as you know, Blair, it's a prayer that people sometimes don't know. And I do think actually, especially in Catholicism, we are more inclined to set prayers, which I love. They are the basis of my faith. And I say my prayers every day, uh, my formal prayers, but, um, I also, I just speak to God from the heart. I say what I want to, you know, but, oh. and he helps me. He replies. And that's why I wrote that book.
0: I mean, I was impressed with the book because obviously you you have prayers within the book uh, and so on. Many of us talk a lot. We we love to talk. And um, obviously you've said it when you're talking to God, just be yourself. Uh, yeah. Talk to him as you would talk to your friend. Yeah. But I guess we're not so good at the second part of the book, which is listening. Um, I often have to apologize because I'm saying to God, I'm telling you what you already know. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes I'm telling you how you should act. But I'm not alone in that. am I? And I think a lot of us, we do the talking, we make the requests, but we don't stop to listen
1: no i do agree and also i think with a lot of people that i come across in my work it's not even a question of stopping to listen they don't know how when i broach the topic of listening for god's replies i get blank looks so often um and and i With my friends and my family, my my brother's exactly the same as me. He's talking to him all the time. He's listening all of the time. A lot of my friends, they're the same. No matter what denomination of Christianity, they're the same. We're listening, we're talking, but a lot of people have no idea how to listen for God. And so as I am so blessed with the lots of experience of God talking to me because I've listened, I actively listen. Then I even give examples of how people can listen for God. And I think once that they begin to realize how they can listen, they realize God's been trying to talk to them for a long, long time. But they haven't recognized that that's God. 90.1 Hope FM and HopeFM.com
0: well, Teresa, obviously, uh, moments or two ago, you said about how um, people are not very good, don't know how to listen. How did you know, for example, when you heard the voice of God saying to you, I want you to write this book, um, how did you know it was him?
1: Well, by that time, God's spoken to me so often. and uh, But it, it's a good point if you ha- aren't used to listening for God and also um, to 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 get to the thing where people can sometimes do bad things and they say, God told me to. In my pray then listen, I make a point of saying that God will only tell you something that is loving. If it's not loving, that's not God, that's the devil. So we have to be very careful. But with actually um, listening for God, um, I'm just so used to it, Blair. I can't even remember when I began to listen. Um, well, I ask him questions, and then, well, what do you want me to do about this? And and then he'll say, and I go, oh, okay.
0: And, and so I it, find it's that, of, sorry, sorry. Knowing, is it a bit of knowing in your Noah? You know, that you get that, that you you get it. I mean, how do you hear God? Is it an audible voice? Is, is it a voice? No.
1: Head? no, I don't hear God with my ears. I hear God, I say, with the ease of my heart. It is a knowing, but it's a knowing something that I didn't know. Um, I might, for instance, have say I've got a dilemma and I think I've got three options. And I'll say, oh, Lord, what will I do? I've got this, this and this I can do. And then he says, well, what about so-and-so? And And I'll go, I never never, ever would have come up with that one. And that's how I know it's God, because it's, it's something I didn't know i
0: guess you only you only sort of get to know the voice of god by by stopping
1: and practicing the
0: the skills of listening
1: that's exactly it that's exactly it but but you said right there you said skills skills of listening i mean as a trainer there was a like two week training course on listening skills so we can take that into you know into god but it's different listening skills but it's something to be learned but first we have to Open out to it. 90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com
0: So, Teresa, your new book is about to be published, uh, and it's got an amazing uh, title, Angel at the Paradise Hotel. My imagination was running away with me whenever I... the title and I thought oh I said Teresa has had an, an encounter you know it's the paradise hotel in Greece uh, and whatever of course it's not any of that is it no <laughs> where, where, tell us something about the concept of this book and why, why you wrote it
1: well I began remember I took my career break it was in 1992 and I was in Corfu as I said and I had planned to write about New York no. So I was in Corfu. So I actually began to research the book and write the book then in Corfu. Um, and the, the basic premise is, and it remains, is that, um, that where I was was a budding resort. And when you've got a tourist invasion, it does affect the locals and the local community and so that is the basic premise of it was bringing up old hatreds and greed etc that is the basic premise and that remains the same it remained from 1992 um but i've grown and i've changed not completely but in many respects since 1992 so my plot changed and finally, it became, um, it had a metaphysical, um, you know, element. In and, uh, pardon?
0: In terms of the angels.
1: Yes, there were the angels. Well, there weren't any angels in the book in 1992, I'm telling you. It was mainly more about a resort and, you know, having fun and et cetera. And this is about having fun and it is about a resort. But because my Christian, with living in Greece for all those years where the people are, overtly Christian um had a, a, a deep effect on my own spirituality and so no matter what it is now no matter what I would write it would have to have something about Christ in there it is entertaining but there's a Christian element running through the whole thing and what I've tried to show with the angels was what I think of the ever-present backstory of life the metaphysical backstory and it's Our guardian angels trying to encourage us and our personal demons trying to discourage us and the battle. And I think that no matter who reads this, and I really hope that people who don't know Christ will read it, too, because it's a good read. It's entertaining. Um, I hope that they will identify with this tussle that goes on in us, in all of us, all the time.
0: Now, you've put a bit of romance in there. Oh, yes. And also, uh, there's a bit of suspense as well. So yes. that, that makes me think, oh, I'm going to be sitting on the edge of my seat, uh, reading reading this. And um, uh, Of course, these these elements uh, are what people love, isn't it? I mean, people love a good love story. Yes. Of course, the, the whole Christian experience is in itself an amazing love story, isn't it? Yeah, it I've, is. But I'm intrigued as, as to how you've woven this together. Is it largely set in a community in Corfu? Um, And do you identify it as being Corfu?
1: Yes, it is set in a fictitious resort, but it's based on the resort that I love in Corfu. But it it is fictitious and the characters are fictitious, um, except that one of them, Bethany from Cardiff. Well, I come from Cardiff. Well, what do you think? Um, She did a a Shirley Valentine. I did, Blair. Hello, Bob. (laughs) I did. Yeah, Hello Rock. Not quite that bad, but I did do a Shirley Valentine. My whole life changed. It was time for a change. So that one character, Bethany, is loosely based on some of my experiences, but most of it is completely fiction, including the thing with Bethany. And it is based in Corfu. Yes, it's, it's based, it talks about the locals. And also, there are visitors from, um, from, from Wales, from Ireland, and from America. Who bring their own problems, and this summer, sizzling summer, you know, they 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 all face make or break challenges. So it's a it's quite a page turner, I'd say. Um, quite a few characters at the beginning, but once you get to know them, and then there's a there are some at the edge of your seat. Yes, there are. But I have to say, the romance is wholesome, no bad language in my books, and um, I'd say an entertaining read, but. I've had some good feedback on it and reviewers have said um, even they didn't I'm not sure if they were believers, but they said that it left them with a feeling of hope and optimism, which was wonderful to read. Love that. So job done as far as I'm concerned.
0: So have you woven a number of individual stories in the, in the overall storyline of the book. So are you telling the story of the American people and the Irish people and so on, as they interact with the people in the community and, of course, with the beauty? Because it's such a beautiful place, isn't it?
1: It's a gorgeous place, and that's exactly what I'm doing, Blair. I'm I'm weaving the story. The people come in. They're interacting with the locals. They brought problems from home. They're trying to sort things out. They're, they've got their angels. They've got their demons. And which way will it go? Um, so yeah, there is suspense. There is—I uh, don't know if you know—but drama only applies to um, to a film or a play. I'd have used the word drama, but uh, for a book, it has to be suspense. So there is. It keeps you guessing, and it keeps you guessing right to the very end. And I—and I, a satisfactory ending, I would—I would say if that's not giving the game away. But yes, these number of characters. So it's it's interesting with the different cultures, interacting with the Greek culture.
0: Now, you mentioned the movie word there. Mm -hmm. Has has it ever occurred to you that someday, somewhere uh, a movie producer might pick up your book, uh, whether it be this new one uh, or or something else that you've written and say, you know, Teresa, would you fancy adapting it for the screen? Do you think
1: that your story would adapt to the screen? Yes, I think my story would adapt perfectly. Um, I was so lucky to get um, my book read by a man called George Shamshun, and he's an Emmy and multiple award-winning film director and producer. So if he liked it and he loved it, um, you never know. I keep my fingers crossed, Blair. If that happens... I would be over the moon. That would be another dream come true, as this is a dream come true. It would be perfect to adapt the screen. Yeah, definitely perfect. 90.1 Hope FM and HopeFM.com. So
0: Teresa people are on the edge of their seat now and they're thinking how do I get a hold of this book when is it coming out it's coming out very soon isn't it uh, and of course it would just for the benefit of people who don't know the title of the new book is Angel at the Paradise Hotel uh, and you've told us a little bit of the plot without giving the game away mm-hmm. uh, but um when's it been, when's it actually coming out so the public can get a hold of it
1: It's actually coming out on the 31st of March so it's in a couple of weeks time um, I'm launching it on the Friday, the 31st of March. People can get hold of it everywhere and they can get hold of it now. You can pre-order on, uh, on websites or at your local bookshop. Or or Amazon, movie. all your
0: usual all your usual sources, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly, all the, all the usual stores, yes. Yeah. So pre-order now, be great. Then you can get your copy early.
0: Absolutely. Now, obviously you're a creative person and no doubt you're already thinking about what your next great project is going to be, um, do you have thoughts about, about what you might do next?
1: Yes, I do. Well, um, you mentioned my Pray Then Listen, I'm still you know, pr- working on that, promoting that, and that's an ongoing thing. Then I'll be promoting my Angel at the Paradise Hotel, but I'm also working, I'm already working on the sequel of Angel at the Paradise Hotel, and that will be based mainly in Athens and I th- and London, And I might take them to New York as well. So um, plenty going on, plenty in the pipeline. Always, always Blair.
0: Now you're in the land of Wales, and when I think of Wales, I think a a land of 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 once for great revival. You know, um, um, and uh, and of course many are praying that once again that those little chapels in Wales will be filled to capacity, and so on as they have been in, in in in. past years uh, why why did you return to your to your roots in wales
1: um well it was time actually i'd been in athens for about 20 years and my parents were getting on my mother actually had dementia um, early onset of dementia at that point not early onset early stages and it was just time and where else would i go um, I ended up back in a little Welsh valley for a few years. And then I came here where I'm living. I'm actually living in my parents' house because they both passed away. Um, and, that you know, it's, it's about five years now since dad. So you get used to it, but it never quite goes, does it? You know, you've only got the one set of parents. And um, but that's why I came back. But it was time. I love Wales. Wales is such a beautiful country. And Cardiff is is such a happening place. So, good, it's
0: good. Well, now, you've been inspired by many things in your life and you've been inspired by Corfu. Is it possible that you'd be inspired by that wonderful land of Wales and that we'll see something with a Welsh feel coming out of your pens next?
1: Yes. Why ever not? Why ever not? Um, It is a very inspiring place and it inspired me indeed to the first two novels, didn't it? So I do plan to revisit those, actually because they are set in Cardiff. And um, yeah, definitely watch this space for the Welsh Angle. Definitely.
0: (laughs) Now, right at the start of the interview, you mentioned that you do these little seminars. uh, And so tell us a wee bit about that. What, 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 What type of field do those seminars have and who goes along?
1: Yeah, well, at the moment, I um I do things like at church, I do Lenten courses. I'm actually writing a Lenten course now. I'm blogging a Lenten course, I've just done week three. But I do Lent courses, I do Advent courses, um, I also do some presentations when they ask me. We have um, I'm a member of the Association of Christian Writers, and we have a Welsh branch here, and I've done workshops, writing workshops for them. I will, because I was a trainer, I can basically, I can train anything really. So I might train writing, or I might train Christian writing, and spiritual, um, spiritual workshops, which I do based on my books. So um, I tend to do things, well, you've read my book, my book is simple. and And my workshops are simple. I try to Bring things right down to simplicity, um, to, to easy, short, and easy to do anywhere. And that's the thing that I, I share in my workshops, including, I've already mentioned earlier, I love to encourage people to remember that the Holy Spirit is with them at all times. So encouragement is the thing. And also encourage people to take that and to go out and share it. So... <laughs>
0: If people wanted to, to, to check out what what the offering was at any one time, how do they do that, Teresa? How do they know when your next course is happening and what it is?
1: To go onto my website. And I have said earlier, Blake, um, Blair, that I would um try to use Zoom. I fancied to use Zoom so that I could, you know, engage with people uh, all over the place. Um, so go onto my website. It's www.thereserodriscoll.com dot co t e and it's all all one word no apostrophe in there Teresa odriscoll and that's where they'll find details of all of my work and the books etc
0: absolutely and and obviously the the, the uh, pray then listen we can i can certainly recommend that because that was the when we met wasn't it that was it that was, was it was of- And of course, the the one angel at the Paradise Hotel, which is going to be released in just a few weeks' uh, time. And by the by the time that you're listening to this program, the book will already be out. So uh, so you can rush out uh, and get it. Uh, You've got a good supply, haven't you, Teresa? I
1: have. I have. Yes. Grab it while you can.